you're listening to How I See It, hosted by Han. You guessed it, that's me. I am here to motivate and inspire you with guests from all different industries and backgrounds. So get ready for personal stories of success, of growth, full of highs and lows, and of course, unapologetic realness. This is How I See It. Okay, you guys, I am here with Karen Haddadin of ECNU. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. Perfect. (laughs) What does it translate to? I forget. Here and now. So it's a combination of both French and Danish. So ECN is French and then new is Danish. I love it. Karen is here and she is the mastermind behind ECNU and she is an author. Her book just came out, Beauty in the Stillness. Did it come out this last year? Yeah. I just have to say that I have been following your account for literally since the beginning and I find it to be so inspirational. There has been so many bad days that I've had where I've read one of your posts and have literally been able to turn my day around from it. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. Oh my God. I love hearing that because I feel like even just with myself, with some of the people that I follow, sometimes when you go through your feed, you're like, this doesn't even make me feel good or why am I still following this person or it's content overload. So if I could be a breath of fresh air when you're scrolling, I will definitely take that. It's so funny you even say that because I feel like I did a solo episode um, the other day on like building a community online and how like that was like the priority from the beginning. And I think you can really tell from your account and from your book that like you have your readers in mind. And I think it's beautiful. Oh my God, that means so much. Thank you oh, so much. Because that I think the community is so, so important. Otherwise, what are you really doing it for? And yeah. I think there's a fine balance of doing it for yourself first, but then also yeah. having the end reader in mind because ultimately they're the ones who are gonna support you and that's who you're trying to impact so yeah yeah I feel like that's a great segue into hearing the beginning of your story and like how you even got started like did the account come first obviously you can tell from your writing that you have a mental health journey okay so the long story short um or long you know yeah we'll give the longest story I'm trying to really actually kind of not shift what my story is, but speak about it differently in more of a positive lens. Ever since I was like a young teen, I had a lot of physical health issues, mostly gut related. Then that shifted into hormonal issues. Then that shifted into me being diagnosed with endometriosis earlier this year. So my physical health was always the biggest stressor in my life. Since I was 11, 12, 14 is when it started to get really bad. Do you think that was like mental health related affecting your body or do you think your body health affected your mental health? The latter. I think it was my physical health, which then got into my mental health. Growing up, I, I had a really beautiful childhood, which I'm very grateful to say because I know that's not the case for everyone, but I was always very happy. I was very confident growing up. I was friends with everyone, but then also had my close circle, had an amazing relationship with my parents, was very family oriented. So it was nothing from my childhood that really stemmed all of this, I don't think at least. But when I was in college, I went to school in Manhattan and that was my dream. And I was truly living my best life. I was experiencing so much. I was seeing so much. I was building my resume. I was very happy in college. 
But around senior year is when, you know, my physical health wasn't doing good. And then add all of the external pressures that got me really, really stressed, then which then exasperated my physical health, which then impacted my mental health. Yeah. And so my senior year, you know, I was growing up, I always wanted to be an age older than I was. Like I always have felt like an old soul. So, so relatable. I'm like waiting to turn, like at least be in my thirties, but I genuinely sometimes feel embarrassed to like share my age because I've never identified with it. Like when I say it, people won't take me as seriously because in my head, I feel like I'm like in my thirties or I like came out of the wound in my thirties. I swear. Wait, how old are you? I'm 26. Oh, okay. Yeah, me too. What I often experience is when I'm like, oh, I'm 26. People are like, wait, what? How? I thought you were so much older, which is definitely a compliment. But then the narrative you take from that is, am I being misunderstood or am I too mature for the people around me? So then that makes you second guess your entire existence. People think you're much older and then you tell them and then they're like, oh yeah a lot younger and then I'm like fuck the illusion (laughs) the illusion going back to what I was saying about like always having this old soul mentality when I was in middle school I was itching to be in high school and then I get to high school and I'm already over it by the end of freshman year I want to be in college I enter college I like where I'm at but I'm ready to be a working 20 year 22 year old in Manhattan and so I always was like itching for the next stage in life And then senior year came and the entire world came crashing down on me being like, girl, are you ready for real life? You're starting it in nine months. Get your shit together, basically. And I was always very studious and I was very career focused and oriented. But then like around that time, you know, my friendships were changing. I started to have this very big fear of the future because I was like, I'm going to move back home. I'm not going to have this New York City lifestyle anymore. I need to figure out what my job is going to be. And I'm like not the finance person, you know, the business. Like I always was – I always knew I was going to go into advertising or something creative. And in those fields, typically you see a job online and two weeks later you're starting. Whereas all of my finance friends, they had their jobs lined up the summer before after their internship. Now I'm like, okay, I'm not going to know what my future looks like until April, May, the earliest. So that terrified me. And then my health, obviously. And so I found myself in a very low mental space where I was like, I like couldn't get out of it. It wasn't even, if you asked me like, what was the big trigger? I couldn't pinpoint one thing because it was everything. It was my physical health, my friendships changing, this overwhelming feeling of being lonely, you know, letting go of this New York City lifestyle And so around that time, I was talking to one of my best friends and she recommended the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And that was the book that really got me into this whole mindfulness, wellness world. And at that point, I had already been taking my health into my own hands physically. I started to listen to a lot of, you know, holistic healing podcasts and reading books about gut health. And so I was already, you know, meditating and well-versed in that mindful space, but I wanted to go deeper in this state of consciousness and spirituality. And so that that book really opened the door. Now, I graduate and I have my dream job lined up. I'm in Greece with my best my girlfriends, end of college trip, living my best life. And I feel like I'm back to myself and I feel high and vibrant and radiant and present. 
And then I start my quote, end quote, dream job. Mm -hmm. And about three weeks into it, I realized this isn't what I thought it would be. I was very stressed again. I didn't love what I was doing as much as I thought I would love doing it. I felt very overwhelmed and I felt it was kind of weird. Like I felt like I deserved a seat at that table when I would be in a conference room with all these really brilliant older people. But then at the same time, I would question, do I even want to be at this table? Mm. So existential crisis coming back in. Now, this would happen for me for the next four months where I would be high and then low and then high and then low. And it's as though I kind of forgot everything that I had read in the power of now and all of the podcasts I'd listened to, nothing was actually being absorbed. I love that you bring this up because I feel like this is a huge, huge, powerful thing that you're bringing up, which is that like, there's one thing to like acknowledge your toxic traits, acknowledge your problems, acknowledge the things you have to do to live the life that you want to live. And another to actually integrate it like Mm -hmm. into your life which is a completely separate step. And it's why it's called the healing journey because I feel like a lot of times people think like, okay, I know this information. I know that I can change my thoughts. I know that I can do these things and it will help me live a better life, but then nothing changes. And you continue to go on this like spiral up and down situation, which I feel like the story you're telling right now is the beginning of every healing journey, which is like you're facing at this crossroads Mm -hmm. and you're like, you can continue to go high and low or you can actually step into change. Yeah. And nothing changes if nothing changes. And that's what I discovered. I could either continue to be on this roller coaster of life where I don't feel good, or I can actually practice what I preach and work on myself and understand myself further, what triggers me, what, what my fears are, what's holding me back, all of those things, and then start to change the trajectory of my life. And at this point, were you all like, at this point, when you were in this like four month up in the air period, and you were kind of like back in this existential anxiety mode about the future, were you like already writing on Instagram? Like, were you already starting this account? Was this happening like simultaneously? Great question. I forgot to mention this earlier, but I have been writing since I was 16 years old. So when I was in high school, that was my journal, I guess you could say, on the notes app, on my phone, writing poetry about life and, you know, who I wanted to be and manifesting and stillness and relationships and all of those different topics. But I never shared it with anyone. There was only one friend of mine in college that I shared my poem with. And she was the first person who saw me and was like, you got to put yourself out there. But that terrified me. I've always had this fear of being seen because of what we mentioned before of being misunderstood of being an old soul. So I always was scared to show all of my layers. So I always hid that part of myself, but I had been writing since I was 16 years old, a couple times a week, pouring my heart and soul out. And it was my creative outlet, but it was also my form of healing, even though I didn't know I was doing it at the time. But by this point, you know, I'm at my first job, ECNU hadn't even been birthed yet, but those moments were actually the seeds being planted into me finding my life's purpose, which is my brand and which is now my, you know, being an author and writing a book. And so what happened was fast forward now, it's October of 2019, um, Columbus Day weekend, 
it was my mom's 50th birthday. And so I took her to Paris and Copenhagen for her birthday. And this was the first time we were doing a mother-daughter trip. Love just it. us. First time I'm taking a paid time off from my job. And I made a promise to myself that when I'm there, I am not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about my health. I'm not thinking about my friendships or my relationships. None of that. I am going to be present with my mom and simmer in this you know, experience with her because life is short and you don't know how many opportunities like that you can get. And so that was my promise to myself. And gratefully, I kept that promise. And what I discovered on that trip was you could take yourself out of the environment that's toxic, let's say, but ultimately you are always with yourself. You are always Mm -hmm. in your own mind. And when I was in those two cities, yes, the environment changed, but I discovered I can choose my thoughts and I can change the way I experience life. And I can be mindful to live in the present state because that really is the only moment that matters. So good. Thank you. On the flight back home, I was feeling very inspired, wrote a poem, and I realized, you know, I can keep going on this roller coaster, like I mentioned, or I can create something that's going to hold me accountable to practice what I preach and also continuously foster my own growth. And so that was when I started to birth the idea of this brand that was rooted in presence, but I didn't do anything about it until I got back home. I put together, I had my advertising brain on and I put together this brand deck and I, you know, came up with the name and the color palette and the fonts and the mission and all that. Love it. And I just let it sit on my desktop because I didn't know what I was actually creating. And I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I had a fashion blog in high school, a t-shirt brand in college, almost launched a snack brand at the end of my college career. So I always knew I would have my own brand one day. But I wanted to be very mindful of bringing this to life because all the other stuff that I tried were fun. They taught me things, but they weren't my purpose. And this time I wanted whatever I invested my energy into to be that sustainable long-term brand, business, whatnot. I love that you, okay. So we talked about this on our phone call before Mm -hmm. we recorded, which was, it's so crazy to me that we both had like a Paris revelation experience. (laughs) I swear Paris, people call it like the city of love, but Mm -hmm. it's truly like the city of like falling in love with yourself and finding your purpose because similar, but different. I, when I went to Paris, I was in this like really dark place still And I remember being so scared that I was alone there, like in stillness, like there wasn't a lot to do. I was Mm -hmm. so used to making myself so busy so that I didn't have to like think about like what I was actually feeling and like be alone in myself. And it allowed me to like slow down. And I, and ultimately like thought of how Han sees it in Paris, Mm. came home, created the deck. And I remember thinking the same thing, like taking the time and energy to let it like breathe and sit because I knew it was my purpose and I knew it was going to be big. And I'm that person that like, when I want to do something, like I'm going to do it a hundred percent. And so I love that you like, it's just so weird that we both have that like Paris. I love that. And I really do think there's something in the air there, or just maybe it's the quiet streets and the people who live so effortlessly, like they don't care. They don't, don't care about anything. They're and they really take their time. Like when you go to a restaurant, you're yes. there for like 
three hours. When you're getting your croissant and coffee, you're sitting at the cafe for like two and a half hours, sipping your coffee, taking one yeah. bite at a time. Whereas like in New York, you're like eating the bagel while running to work. It's so not intuitive. And that's, I think, yeah. what drew me there, like the the feeling I had there. And the same thing with Copenhagen. I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh-uh. oh my God, it's go. even more still, I would say. I mean, everyone there rides their bike to work. They leave work at like four o'clock. They're so calm and relaxed. And that's that was the feeling I wanted to bring back to my life here. Like I yeah. love the way I felt in those two places. And I wanted to make sure that I could feel that every day for the rest of my life. So that was kind of like where everything was birthed. Now I come back to work, back to regular routine. I'm actually now practicing what I'm preaching, you know, meditating every day, journaling, going to the gym, doing all the things. And then COVID happens. And now I'm working from home and my job is boring and I don't feel creative. I have a new team. I'm not vibing with the team. So now I'm like, okay, the present moment is the last place I want to be right now. Let's be real. Who did at the beginning of COVID? So I was like, this is the moment that I need to really hold myself accountable and make sure that the moment spent where I have the time and energy, let's like we had all this time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not commuting to work anymore. I'm not in that many meetings anymore. I want to make sure I really seize this as an opportunity versus fall more behind. Yeah. That's when I created the Instagram account. And I've had it now for almost four years. And the book had always been in the back of my mind since I was 16 years old. And that was, I manifested that last year. So it published in February of this year. And it's a full extension of my brand and what I believe in. But also the beauty of it is it's a collection of pieces that I wrote when I was 16 years old, 19 years old, 22 years old, 25 years old. So you will read about the transformation of my mindset over the past decade of my life. So you will read the moments where I was really fucking lonely and I had no idea who I was, the moments where I was heartbroken, the moments where I struggled to believe in myself and know my worth. But then you will read about the moments where I realize I'm limitless and present is a state of being that I could live in every second of my life. You know, I believe there is a love lover out there that's really meant for me that's going to come to me through God. Like you see that transformation. And so when I look back on my life, the health journey that kickstarted all of this, the job that didn't fulfill me, the the feeling of loneliness, those are were all blessings that really did happen for me that led me to my purpose and now I'm on a deeper spiritual journey where it's I've learned like now I, I need to just continuously heal the parts of me that create barriers to live, to not live in a present state or not to receive love. So, oh my God, preach, preach. <laughs> I'm at a place now too, where like you realize these things, right? Like we talked about and like you work through a lot of this stuff and you get to like kind of helicopter on your journey, mm-hmm. but now you have to like keep pushing as like yeah. life continues on, like the healing journey never stops. And I mean, there's so many cool, beautiful, inspiring things about your book. But when I read at the end that you had started writing this at 16 and this had been like a 10 year timeline diary of everything that was happening, was happening in your life. I thought it was the coolest thing because I feel like it, it allowed you to see in 
like one moment, how all the highs and lows come together, like for the greater good. I think we all know this, right? Like we know like, oh, like right now really sucks. But like in like the future, I'm going to look back and be thankful, but it's really hard to like actually be okay in the present moment in that. Mm -hmm. And I think it was probably, I'm assuming really healing to be able to be done with this book and be like, Oh my gosh, like look at all of the trial and tribulation I've been through and like, look where I am now. Like I can see how it all came together in actual like physical form. Yeah. Wow. I really, really appreciate that. I'm so grateful that you noticed that and you're acknowledging that because that was the healing, like writing the book was actually the biggest level of healing that I've endured. And what I mean by that is there are pieces that I had written and then from over the years, and then there are pieces that I wrote obviously to finish the book. And a lot of what I had wrote written last summer were the hardest things that I've ever written in my life, but giving myself to include something, you know, especially the loneliness chapter. I mean, that was really being vulnerable and really, really hard. But when I put it out into the world, I was like, like, I don't need to carry this anymore. I've learned from it. I've grown from it. I I discovered the limitations within myself. And also the crazy part is I'm, I've always been so hard on myself. You know, I'm my own worst enemy. And I think a lot of artists are that way or creators are that way. I don't care what other people think about me because I know who I am but I'm so hard on myself and I'm not kind to myself in that way. Yeah. And what I realized was when I was working with my publisher and we were thinking about the title, they were like, we want to name it beauty in the stillness. And I was like, huh, okay. That works for me. And they were like, yeah, it's from one of your poems. And I was like, oh, it is it. You're like, I said that. (laughs) Yeah. Turns out it's the first poem in my book, which was one of, I think it was like the third poem I ever wrote when I was 16 years old, Wow! which when I included that in the book, I thought to myself, I have always known it since I was 16 years old, probably earlier than that, but I haven't given myself the credit to acknowledge that. It's like thanking my inner child or the past versions of myself to get me to this moment. But I will also say this, I still fall sometimes. I still resort back to limiting beliefs and old pattern behaviors and all of that. And I find myself picking my own book up again when I'm really low and rereading my own words and thinking like, I got through it once, I will get through it again. And even I need to go back to my own work sometimes to be reminded of what I know. Because I know it's really hard when you're, when you're in under extreme moments of stress, you go back to thinking in the, the negative ways. It's inevitable. Oh. I think all people, but I think especially people like us who are really hard on ourselves, like creative, very existential, like you get really caught up in like the lows. I think especially if you've struggled with mental health or physical health, you've been on some type of healing journey when there's progress and then it feels in any capacity that there's any steps back, it becomes very shameful. It becomes very like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. what's happening? Panic. And Where, I, what I do wrong, you what know, I do wrong. am I backtracking in my healing yeah. journey? And there's a lot of panic. And I think that this year, especially for me has been this reminder that like, you cannot have highs without lows mm-hmm. at all. It's not possible. There would be no emotion. There would be no joy with the highs if there wasn't these like more mundane, lower triggering, sad moments. And I have your book. 
So if you don't mind, I would love to read a couple snippets wow, from it well and have you talk about it because okay, I, yes. I'm going to hog you since you're the author and I have your Oh buttons. my God, I love this. No one's ever done this. Okay, so this one's highs and lows. The contrast of emotions is what makes life vibrant. Happiness is not a standalone feeling. It is a comparative emotion and it is through our lows that we become aware of our highs. And then you skip on to say, a life devoid of sadness, fear, self-doubt, anxiety, stress, and heartbreak restricts our ability to experience those critical lessons, which in the end lead to high heights of happiness, the space that we're destined to be. And then I'll read one more because I feel like it has to do with what we're talking about, but you call it human experience, which has been like a theme for me this year on the podcast, like talking about taking away the shame that comes mm-hmm. with these lows because we're mm-hmm. so hard on ourselves to the point where we like almost dehumanize ourselves and our emotions. But the irony is when one of our friends is not doing well, the first instinct is take all the time you need. Yeah. It's so normal. And when it comes to ourselves, we're like, get your ass back up. Like stop wallowing. Go back out into the world. Don't yeah. rest. <laughs> yeah. And you articulate this feeling perfectly. You say, the purpose of life is not to feel bliss at every moment. It is to find equilibrium through the entire spectrum of emotions. We must allow ourselves to witness every dimension our feelings can go, to experience all that our minds and hearts are capable of, remove the self-inflicted pressure to be happy and joyful all of the time, get rid of the idea that you're feeling anytime you feel sad, empty, or angry. All you need to do is strive to be in a place where you are no longer judging yourself for what you're naturally feeling. And you must invite in every emotion, thought, and feeling that arises as they come. That is how you live a raw dimensional, authentic human experience. Aww. How do you like now with your book? And I, and obviously like you are human, you're not above mm-hmm. this feeling. Like how do you navigate like the highs and lows? Like you go to your book, reread what you've written. I feel like that's probably a nice little reality check. Like you wrote this. Yeah. Um, but what, what other tools do you initiate to like get to a space where you can kind of feel in that equilibrium? Well, in all honesty, this past month has been emotionally draining for me. Yeah. I don't know if it had to do with the eclipses or changing of seasons or nostalgia or what it was. I was in a funk for maybe three and a half weeks that I just could not shake off. Yeah. Now, this was the first time, though, that I actually allowed myself to rest. I don't rest. I'm always go, go, go. I'm so bad at it, too. <laughs> but like, do you, I don't know if you feel this way. Like, even if I choose to stay in on a Friday night, right? And I'm like laying on my couch and I'm watching TV, 20 minutes into it, I'm like, you could be doing so much more now. Like, turn yeah. the TV off, start writing, send those emails out. I can't even sit still and like watch a fucking show. Yeah. So the past three and a half weeks, I was like, you got to stop putting pressure on yourself, girl. Like look at all you've accomplished at the age of 26. Let's yeah. be nice to ourselves. So I mm-hmm. did rest and I did n- like not answer all the emails when I received them or I didn't write as much. Now during that time period, I paused in the creation mode, but I still showed up for myself every single day. Yeah. What I mean by that was I still woke up and I prayed and I meditated and I journaled and I went on a long walk and I did my Pilates. I still, you know, ate really clean and ensured that I was getting fresh air and, you know, making some strides. That to me was the bare minimum, but I still did the bare minimum. Yeah. 
And I really, this time, I allowed myself to feel what I was feeling. And in the first time, like I mentioned before, I have a lot of gut issues. And for me, I don't process emotions. I immediately feel it in my gut. I become so bloated, a lot of discomfort down there. This was the first time I've been in a funk where I didn't feel that, which was a massive win for me because it was the first time I actually was feeling and digesting my emotions. I love that. I love that. I feel like it's a validation that you've done work and that you're like ahead in your healing journey. But also I think we we're hard on ourselves one, cause we're entrepreneurial. Yeah. You have like a business, you're running your own thing, but I think it's all deeper thing, which you discussed, which is like, you don't feel like you're doing enough. You don't think like maybe you're like good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that I really struggle with what you're talking about as well. And the thing I've had to remind myself, which you probably have as well, is that like, I won't be able to like work at full capacity or like make the difference that I want if I don't rest. And so Mm -hmm. sitting in the uncomfortable has at least allowed me to feel like a little bit more comfortable. Like I've gotten so used to being uncomfortable that I am not like actually conceptualizing that being comfortable is actually what's comfortable and being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. is not comfortable. And so I feel like it just takes practice. And that's what my, the two essays that you just read from my book, that's the point I want to make is that when I'm in it, I didn't notice that. I didn't realize like I wasn't aware of, oh, wow, I'm not bloated today, even though I feel like shit. I realized it after the fact. And so now when I look back on that funk period that I really just got out of like four days ago, so recent, I'm like, thank God that happened because that made me so much stronger. And now I know when I go through another funk, which I definitely will, whether it's a week from now, a month from now, 10 years, whatever it is. I will have more wisdom and I will have more knowledge and I will have more strength and resilience to overcome that as well. The big thing that I discovered throughout this period was like, I'm someone where I like knowing the answer. So I dig deep to be like, okay, what is the root cause of me feeling this way? And it came down to this belief that was buried in my subconscious mind that just came to the surface because of this funk, which was what you mentioned. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I, I realize it's not that I'm not enough for other people. I don't care about that. I'm not enough for myself. Oh, that's so good. How I discovered that was the fact that I couldn't even allow myself to rest without guilt. And so when I'm resting, I'm like, well, I'm not enough. Even if I've done all this stuff, it's not enough. Even though I've you know, achieved this great success with my book and my podcast and my page. That's not enough. What's the next thing I could do? We are like one in the same in this. I feel like this year has been one of the hardest years I've had in a while. And it was like, it started with this like anxiety of like what we talked about earlier. Like what is happening? Why am I backtracking like mentally? Like why do I feel like I'm backtracking in my career and also backtracking mental health wise? Like I can't like this can't be happening. And so it like started this spiral. And then when I finally calmed down enough to just like be still, which is the essence of this book, I realized that like, I'm, I've never felt like I was enough. And again, I've never cared what people think of me. Mm-hmm. Of course, I want to like succeed and like live up to my potential. And I want people right. to be proud of me, like, of course. But I think it was never about like, I care what people think of me and what I'm doing. It's like, I was never enough for myself. 
enough to rest, enough to stop. Yeah. Like we treat ourselves like we're these machines. And I realized that no matter how much I was making this year, how much I increased my salary, mm-hmm. how many dates I was going on, it was never going to be enough. Yeah, that is exactly what I realized. I was like, yeah. okay, my book was number five on Amazon bestsellers. That wasn't enough, I guess. Um, financially, I'm doing so much better than I was last year. It's still not enough. I want more. Um, my page is growing. That's not, not enough. You know, I'm getting a promotion at work. That's uh, like, sh- I should have gotten it sooner. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's this negative chatter. But now once you get out of it and you get the clarity of what that experience taught you, now I am so hyper-conscious of any time those beliefs resurface and I I talk back to it. I'm like, no, I don't believe that. I did a Joe Dispenza meditation today and um, I do a lot of like visualization meditations and in this funk, I couldn't even visualize my higher self when I was meditating. So that's what I was saying before. It was the bare minimum effort I was putting in, but I still show yeah. up. And today and yesterday, I like really visualized how I how I want to see myself. And then I journaled how she is. She walks with confidence. She never questions her worth. She knows who she is. She listens to her intuition. And when I read that, I was like, that's who I am. And that person is enough. And I need to embody her because I am her. Yeah. People don't realize like how you can rewrite your thoughts and you can talk back to yourself. And like, it's so funny. I feel like I'm a crazy person sometimes because I'll be like on my sunset walks or I'll be like walking and I can just like hear the negative chatter. I feel like we get used to hearing the negative chatter. Like people don't even realize how much they actually negatively talk to themselves. But I will like out loud be like mumbling under my breath. Like you are so confident. You have it together. You are doing so well. And I'm having to like literally like encourage myself over the negative chatter. And I end up like feeling better. And I think to your point earlier and like uh, the essence of a lot of this book, like you have to rewrite your thoughts. You have to rewrite your story if you want to feel differently. Like I don't want to feel like I'm not good enough to myself. Like that's, yeah, I don't know. It's sad, but here we are. And like, I'm trying to like rewrite it. And I think it takes time, like back to what we were talking about. Like when you realize these things, you have to like integrate you know, mm-hmm. actually like the, integra- the integration is the key. Even if you have all this knowledge, if you don't do anything with it, your life is going to be the same. Yeah. And if you're content with your life, great. You don't have to do the work. But yeah. I think we all should strive to be kinder and better and more in love with ourselves and all of that. You know, what you said before, like you said you were crazy. I'm the same way. The way I do it though, is anytime I'm on my walk or even just in my apartment and I hear a thought come up that I don't like, I pause and I become aware of what I just thought. And I say to myself, huh, that's interesting. Something within me still feels like I'm not worthy. Yeah. Okay. Let's, I noticed it. I'm not going to feed into it. And that takes a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's uh, Deepak Chopra always says like an awareness of a thought is not a thought. So when you are able to be sitting on the you know, on the grass and looking at the clouds, which are your thoughts, and they're just passing by and you're not in the cloud, that is a massive win because then you can choose, okay, I'm sitting and I'm observing. The sun is right there too. I could focus on the sun instead. And that's kind of how I like to think about it now. I like that you brought up like staying curious. It's something I talk about a lot with my healing journey 
because you can't always trust your own thoughts. Oh, and yeah. I've learned to like stay curious about like the reactions I start having to things or the things I think about myself. And I think it's really beautiful to like slow down. I'm so incredibly bad at it. It almost makes me uncomfortable. And I tried my best this year to, to really exercise, like be uncomfortable. Like you can't just like continue to be like comfortable in this machine mode, in this negative talk mode, because it's so easy to get into spiral mode at that point. Totally. And here's the thing. We all do it differently. Yeah. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine and she said something to me, which got me so curious and it, and it actually allowed me to think a little bit differently. She was saying how she's really good at not thinking about something and compartmentalizing a feeling in her mind. And when she said compartmentalize, I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I have no <laughs> idea how to do that. Like I, when I think, I think straight into it and I, yeah. I can't let it go until I figure it out in my head. But then I just, then I was like marinating on that. I was like, huh, like I wonder, is it possible for me? So I started to do that. And I realized I actually do do that sometimes. What I mean by that is like, you know, when you're, it's like a Friday morning, right? And you have plans at night and you have a busy work day and you're like, you wake up and you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to wear tonight. And then you're like, eh, I'll worry about that later. Let's park that for a second. I was, I had that realization. Wait a minute. I can do that. Mm -hmm. My mind is able to compartmentalize. I'm not, I'm choosing the wrong things to compartmentalize or I'm choosing to feed into everything when I don't need to worry or stress about it at the present moment. I think that space allows clarity as well. I feel like a lot of times if I give into panic, like I give into these like negative thoughts or I feel like I need to unpack something that happened or triggered me. If I go straight into it, I end up having to like, talk it out, walk nine miles around the block just to like get the energy out. And then if I would have just waited like a couple hours, I would have, because by the time I'm done with that walk, I'm like, well, that wasn't even that big of a deal. Um, And I think there's a difference between compartmentalizing and like disassociating from something. And I feel like most of the time when you come back to those types of things, you're like, okay, this is at face value, not that bad. I was putting more feeling like into that like spiral and reaction rather than thinking like logically about something and like Mm -hmm. calming myself down and using the tools I know that I need to implement in the moment. Which I think is such a good point. You have the tools. And I think if a lot of people are in the space of struggling with their mental health or controlling their thoughts or they're not where they want to be in life, take a look at your toolbox. Like what are you doing to get yourself out of it? And if you haven't found the things that serve you, then dabble into journaling or going on a long therapeutic walk or meditating or whatnot. But that's, I think now that I have my foundation of those tools, I feel very safe when I am in a funk or when I'm feeling really low. Cause I'm like, I have everything that I need. I just need myself again and I will get there in due time. And I think to this point too, it all circles back to like being, having grace with yourself as well, which Mm -hmm. is something we both said we struggle with. We're so hard on ourselves and we get into this almost, I catch myself getting into these spirals of like, oh my gosh, I feel guilty that I'm even spiraling. And then I start spiraling even more. And I really have to like balance and like remind myself. I think it just takes reminders. Like you're fine. You're safe in this moment. This is normal human experience and you are not above it or below it. This is just normal. And this is how it is. And I think that 
that takes exercise. I think rewiring those things takes time and energy, but it's worth it because we all deserve to feel safe and at peace and good enough in our own personal journeys. Absolutely. And I I think what you said is so important. It takes time. I, with my health journey, so I mentioned I had endometriosis. I had robotic excision surgery back in May to remove the endo, which was a blessing. Like that was an answered prayer. And a week after my surgery, I was walking slowly. I was walking and that to me was not good enough. I was like, I'm walking so slow. Like I should be normal by now. And my mom was like, are you, are, are you insane? Like you just had a surgery, be patient with yourself. Yeah. And so the past five months I've been really like cracked open spiritually, emotionally, physically, you got to be patient. And now I'm on this wave of things happen slowly and beautifully and gently. And sometimes things are happening behind the scenes that you cannot see yet. Yeah. And you are not meant to see it yet. Because let's say I had this thought the other day, I have a list of prayers that I'm whispering, right? I want yeah. full physical healing. I want to meet the love of my life. I want, you know, my book to be even more successful than it is. I want all the different things, right? And I thought to myself, let's say God handed me everything I wanted in my hands right now. He was like, here, you want the soulmate? Here you go. You want the dream job? Like the success? Here you go. You want the travels? You want the money? Here's everything. I would literally stand there and be like, I don't know what to do with any of it. Like I can't hold all of this. I can't have it all right now. Like I don't have the wisdom, the capacity, the strength to have all this. Otherwise I'm going to sabotage it because I'm not yet prepared in the sense where my old beliefs and patterns are still clinging on in order for me to hold all these things. I need to like really free myself from my past self. That's so good. And and so what I discovered was that things come to you at the right time when you are able to hold it and everything is in divine timing. And I know it's so hard when you want to be somewhere and you're not there yet, but you also cannot And I'm telling this to myself every day. Like I cannot expect myself to be at a capacity that I haven't had the lessons and experiences yet to be there, if that makes any sense. No, that's so good. I think that's like ultimately been like the overarching theme of this year for me, which is like this, I've been in this rush to get what I want. Mm -hmm. And like, I feel like I've almost been having like, a little bit of a God complex. Like, why is this not happening? Like I'm putting in the work, I'm putting in the time. Yeah. And um, I think there's just something so powerful about what you just said, which is that like, I would have like had the opportunity to start a podcast two years ago. Oh my gosh. So scary. My mental health was not in a space to even mm-hmm. be able to handle that. And I think that looking back, it's really easy to like say that. But I think in the moment we forget and we just want everything now, 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 and we don't allow ourselves to be uncomfortable in the realizations that are necessary to be able to be successful in these things that we ultimately pray for and want. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. That's the the reason why I book wrote a book about stillness is because I needed to hear these words to myself. So like what you read before, right? I wrote that because I need that reminder every day that it's a human experience to wish 
no sadness or no fears. That's not like I want to feel and hear all of the strings that my heart can play. And, you know, I have learned to live in the present state. I, I really pride myself on seizing every single moment and being where I'm at. Yes, I'm thinking about the future or dwelling on the past in some moments. I'm human, right? Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, being still is so hard and surrendering is really challenging. Yeah. I mean, there have been days, I'm sure you've been there too, where I you get to the point where you're breaking and you're like, okay, I'm holding tightly and nothing is happening. I can't even hold on anymore. Like I'm on my knees praying to God, like take this from me. And then you choose to surrender and slowly the blessings start to flow in. Totally. And I think that a way I've been able to really maneuver my way through like that hardship is not just, you know, continuing to remind myself that be still praying, but also well, in affirmations, of course, but also like being vulnerable, like on in this community, like online Mm -hmm. has allowed me to have a space where I can like talk about this freely. This may help someone else because I think that's the biggest lie we tell ourselves, right? In these like dark moments, whether you're working through mental health sickness, whether you can't be still and you're falling into these low spirals, we always isolate ourselves so much into this human condition that we're alone. And I think that's the beautiful thing about your book and your account is that it's very obvious that you have your community in mind that you want people to not feel alone. And it's a huge reason why I started mine as well. And I think reminding ourselves that and getting vulnerable, even if it doesn't feel comfortable, is a huge piece of getting through these moments. Absolutely. I mean, you and I connecting on this level, despite having a completely different upbringing and completely different life journey and the fact that you and I have been feeling the same things and talking about it so openly together right now is a testament to we're all really experiencing the same shit in various degrees and capacities and what your your form of suffering and my form of suffering, they're not apples to apples, they're not equal, but they are hard for both of us in a way that we both need to work through. When I created my account, I the thing that made me feel less alone was when my followers would comment or DM me saying, I thought I was the only one who felt this way. Yeah, And that made me feel less alone. Like, okay, I'm not crazy for thinking this stuff or feeling this stuff. Yeah, and And I've seen that as my book grows and gets into more people's hands, that's the common denominator when I'm hearing from people is that you made me feel seen or... I, I never could have imagined that someone else experienced the level of heartbreak that I did or had yeah. the same doubts about, you know, self-worth that I did. And and I think just reminding ourselves that when you become vulnerable and you share your authenticity, you open the door for real, raw human connection. And when you experience that level of love that's unconditional, really, you realize you are never alone and you are always loved. And you're always here for a reason. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I think um, I've talked a lot this year on episodes with my best friend when she came on. We talked a lot about like dating and like having to get vulnerable and then also like vulnerability online. I feel like I've really mastered like vulnerability online. It's 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 
my community is like a part of my heart. And so Mm -hmm. I think like working to be able to become vulnerable and seeing the results and like the communication and the feedback from an audience when you're vulnerable is very empowering. So I feel like I've been able to do that easier because I'm like, okay, cool. Like this is helping people. Like Mm -hmm. I'm like allowing you know, people to feel peace and like freedom. And like, there's open conversation happening because I'm choosing to be vulnerable. I'm going to continue to do it. But I think it gets hard, like to pour your feelings out and, you know, talk about things that you're struggling with. Because I think a lot of times, especially people who struggle with feeling like enough, they feel like their vulnerability can be weakness. It's a huge thing that I've struggled with and have been trying to like really work through. So I wanted to ask you like about how you feel about vulnerability. Cause obviously this book is like your heart and soul. And there was a part it's called secret garden. And it's the one where you say, why do I care about the perception when they have yet to experience me in complete form? So how do you feel about vulnerability? And like, do you struggle with it? Has it been something you've had to like learn to get good at? Not anymore. And I really do credit that to me writing the book and not telling anyone I was writing it. So I felt there was no audience for me to perform for at the time yeah. when I was writing it. It was myself. Yeah. yeah. And so writing the book was so healing for me when it comes to vulnerability and being seen. And now it feels so good to be like, if you want to know me, read the book. That's me unapologetically. Yeah. The thing with Secret Garden, that's um, the title of that is taken from the song by Bruce Springsteen. And basically in the song, he talks about like a girl and how, you know, she'll dance and she'll smile and blah, 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 blah. But the secret garden that's within her heart, she won't let you access that. So, good. And that's how I've been, I felt for so long is like, I, I love who I am and who I am with my friends and people I meet is me. Like that is my extroverted radiant self, but I do dim my own light and I don't share everything and I do hold back. And I didn't like that because growing up because I was like, why am I denying the parts of myself that I actually love? Yeah. And so now I'm like an open book, ask and you shall receive. And of course, I'm not going to walk into a me like, this is me, like yeah, and yeah. show everything. But when it comes to people who I really connect with, I want to be vulnerable and I want to let them into my secret, secret garden because they might find something that they love or they might feel connected to what they find. And so why... In that poem, it's like, why am I caring so much about what other people think about me when they haven't even seen the full self that I have been denying? Yeah. And that was another thing I really had to heal was, especially when it comes to romantic relationships, was the story I told myself where the more I showed more parts of myself, the more, I don't want to say quicker, but that's when men would walk away. And I had to really unpack that and think to myself, what is making me believe that that's the case? So real. So true. hundred percent. Which is like another form of vulnerability, right? Like I had to think, okay, why is it that when I show all my layers, people are like, okay, I can't handle this or she's too much. And then I discovered you are never too much and you are always enough. Maybe not for the right person. Dude, so good. When you faced like situations like that, I definitely have. I I can openly like share since I definitely struggle with rejection. And I think as a result of that, I've really downplayed like my authentic self. I think Mm -hmm. how Han sees it and now how I see it pod 
has really allowed me to open the floodgates over the last few years and really like show a part of myself that I was really scared to show for a really long time. But I think still in like real life, when it comes to romantic relationships or even like, um, like family oriented things or like new friendships, it's really hard for me because I too feel like, oh gosh, like if I get, if I do that, it's too much or like, it's too real or like it's showing too much. And I've been like burned in the past. And I too have had to like, look in the mirror and be like, why are you now destroying opportunities that could be really great in your life? Mm -hmm. Um, because you're scared of the past, which was obviously not meant for you, but it's a hard thing. And I think you just have to remind yourself, like all of us, like we all long for human connection. Like we Mm -hmm. all long for like authenticity and we all long for like relationships, whether it's romantic or friendship. And the reason why like communities online work so well is because of that. Like people Mm -hmm. want to feel less alone. They want to feel connected to you. They want to know your true and authentic self. And I started to realize like that I was self-sabotaging a lot of my relationships because I was not purposely showing up as myself so that when people left, it didn't hurt as much because Mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't reveal my secret garden. So like, who cares? Another reason why I would dim myself was because I didn't want to make someone else feel less than. That's my people are pleasing You're coming a people out. You're a pleaser, for sure. Yeah. Like, and I'm not trying to say this in a boastful way, but I am proud of myself, of yeah. all that I've accomplished. You know, like I own my apartment. I have a great job. I wrote a book. I, I'm 26 and I have amazing friendships that I'm obsessed with and fr- family that I love. Like I'm very, very proud of myself. I don't have it all though. I'm not going to yeah. sit here and say that my health is still not where I want it to be. I'm single, Right. And so whenever I would talk about myself, part of me would hold back because I didn't want the other person in front of me who didn't have the career yet or didn't figure out their purpose yet or whatever it would have been to feel behind because I never want to give that energy off. Like that's not me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I need to show up authentically because if I want authentic connection, I need to be authentic. It doesn't work the way. The core of what we're discussing is like, the perception of how people see you. And like, you never want, like, we think so much about that when Mm -hmm. in reality it ends up just being like self-destructive because at the end of the day, if something fails or something goes wrong or a friendship ends or a situation happens, you always have to wonder if you weren't authentically yourself or if you weren't aligning fully with the person that you wanted to display yourself as. You always Mm -hmm. will wonder if it was because like you weren't truly yourself. And that's the the funny part, right? When you yeah. think of all the experiences in your life and all the relationships in your life, what is the common denominator? It's you. Yeah. So there are patterns. Like I found myself in similar patterns with men. I found myself in similar patterns with specific friendships. The common denominator was not the other person. It was me. Yeah. And it was how I was showing up. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at a place where I have really – like become aware of how I show up in friendships that have has brought me into a place of I have really awesome connections that are based on truth and honesty and love. Yeah. And I think this all circles back to like being still. I don't mm-hmm. think that 
I would have been able to have these revelations about myself over the last few years. Like this year has been like a big one of me not Mm -hmm. feeling like I'm good enough or feeling weak to get vulnerable in my relationships. Being able to be still, mastering being still, allowing yourself and giving yourself the love because it really is a form of self-love, allowing yourself to be still is what's going to allow you to get to the next level emotionally, physically, mentally, career-wise. And if we don't give ourselves that and don't allow ourselves to feel a little bit of uncomfortable, we're never going to get too comfortable and comfortable being good because like everyone wants to feel at peace. They want to be comfortable, Mm -hmm. comfortable in a good way. That is exactly the premise of Beauty in the Stillness, which is my book, is that there is a transformative power when you give yourself the space to be still and mindful. If it weren't for all of the moments where I took a pause or reflected on who I was being or simmered in the low moment, I would not have had those downloads and those revelations that brought me to this current moment. And that's why I say there is beauty in the stillness. There's beauty in the in-between moments. There's beauty in the raw, breaking, soul-crushing, debilitating, challenging, confusing chapters of life if you see it to be that way. yeah. That's my goal is to remind people to, to really take care of themselves, like create foster, you know, solitude with yourself, foster a a really healthy, loving relationship with yourself. Now that doesn't mean that you can't feel angry or mad or low or sad. It goes back to the, the essay that you read. It's it's no longer judging yourself or feeling what you're feeling. However, it is learning or it's, it's taking every opportunity as a a learning experience. Yeah. I think there's blessings in all of it. Like truly, I, I'm now at a place, this is where I'm really proud of myself, where even when I'm suffering, like the past few weeks while I was in that funk, my entire skin broke out, my entire chin, like the worst acne I've ever had. While I was in it, I was fucking confused and angry and whatever, but I kept whispering, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Something will good will come out of this. Yeah. And I really wholeheartedly believe in that. And so that's When people say like, be positive, be positive, people think like, oh, it's pretending everything is perfect. No, my skin was breaking out. I was fucking pissed and I hated the way I looked. Let's be real. I was not happy about that. However, despite it, I allowed myself to feel the rage, but I still showed up with gratitude and belief that this is happening for me. Yeah. I think people, like when you tell them like, just like, it's going to turn into something better. Like it's, this isn't forever. This isn't the moment. They take it as like this almost condolence Mm -hmm. and not like, oh, they're just supposed to say that. And they don't really take it to heart and like, think about like what it actually means. And I think sometimes there's just like a delusional confidence confidence and positivity that we need to have within, not project. I think there's there's a toxic level of like positivity that's projected outward. I don't think you can ever project too much positivity inward and like too Mm -hmm. much affirmation and too much gratitude because repeating those thoughts over and over is back to our point. What is going to change your thought patterns and Mm -hmm. what is going to allow you to keep pushing forward? Mm -hmm. There's a, a essay in your book where you talk about soul searching versus soul charging. What is the difference? I love the way you articulated it. I've never heard like it articulated in this way. And I think it's so cool. Oh, thank you. 
Um, I really always hated this notion of searching for your soul. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It never made sense to me because I was like, how am I searching for something that's always within me from the beginning and always will be within my body until I die? Like, it, I didn't understand what that meant to search for your soul because then you're saying it exists outside of you and you need, you need to go on this quest to find it. Yeah. I couldn't do the math in my head. And so I coined this term, soul charging. And what I mean by that is do things that naturally charge your soul. Like what fuels you? What lights you up? What makes you feel vibrant? What activities make you feel like an inner child, like brings out your inner child? What places do you feel the most alive in? What types of people do you surround by who make you feel like yourself? And so I think when we shift the, the vocabulary of instead of searching for my soul, let me charge my soul it feels way more practical and doable and less of a daunting thing to figure out in this lifetime. We don't allow ourselves rest. We don't allow ourselves the time to like be the fullest versions of ourselves so we can create and so we can be happy and do the things we love. Like you have to find those things that will bring your soul that charge. And so I loved it in that way. It made me think like this year I really worked on like instead of working on the weekends, like I was pushing myself to the Mm -hmm. point of like, I was working on Saturdays and Sundays for like the last, like since I would say since 2019, I was working like seven days a week. And so like this year I decided like, okay, I'm only going to like do a little bit of work on the weekends if I have to, but I'm just going to do things that like make me happy. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It has allowed me like so much, I guess, in your terms, like soul charging, because I feel like I can go back into the week and be like, I charged up this weekend. Mm -hmm. I feel good. I feel happy. I don't mind now, or I don't feel burdened by the like long list to do's now that I have to do. And I feel like I can create at my fullest, highest self. And then on the other end, I was thinking about it and I feel like it's very empowering to call it soul charging as well, because it, this reminder that like you are good enough like you Mm -hmm. are enough and like there's everything within you to do exactly what you're meant to do and what you're trying to do and like the imposter syndrome and the doubt and the fear of not being good enough or the fear that I'm not going to accomplish what I'm supposed to do is 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 a lie I'm already like I'm already soul soul charged enough I don't have to go find it or search for my soul yeah I also think it's a reminder that you're never far off from feeling like yourself again. What I mean by that is your soul is your soul, right? Like the standard self. And anytime you feel less than that, do one thing that makes you feel alive and bam, you're charged up. Like whether that's taking up a new hobby or going to your favorite workout class or hanging out with your friend who makes you feel like a five-year-old again, you know what I mean? Whatever that looks like to you, you're one moment away of like feeling at home again. Yes, the external facilitates that charging, but it's your soul that's always within you that makes it happen. And another thing with the word searching that really irritates me is when you're searching for something, you're like spastic, looking around, not taking in the present moment. So that's another part I didn't love about the term was come like think about when you're searching for something, you're like panicked and frazzled and you don't know where your keys are and you're like and you can't see clearly. You can't can't think yes, you cannot see clearly. 
And so I don't know. I just didn't like the turn. One of the things, and we can end here, but one of the things I loved about our initial call together. Um, so like little PSA to podcast listeners. So before I get a guest on, I always talk on the phone with them. Just And right when you got on the phone with me, I'll never forget it because it was so <laughs> iconic of like a poet writer to like just drop some knowledge, like right when they got into the fucking call. You said people who enter the wellness world do it out of necessity. Mm. Oh my gosh. It was so good. I never articulated it that way, but I feel the same way. People who enter this space do it out of necessity. For me, I did it out of necessity. Like I had to, I felt called to do what I'm doing. And my mental health journey has brought me to this point where like, I have to be in this space, not only for people, but for myself. Mm -hmm. How did you mean that? Because of my health issues, right? So with my health journey, the amount of times that I've been to doctors who were like, it's all in your head, all of the tests are negative, you, there's nothing wrong with you. I hated receiving that answer because I was like, there has to be a root cause. I will not accept this answer. Yeah. And so in my case... Western medicine had failed me time and time again. And I became excited about going on a quest to really dig deeper into what is the root cause of my body not functioning in the way that God designed it to. Yeah. Let's be real. Like our bodies were meant to be healing themselves. Mm -hmm. So I was so sick of hearing like, take this antibiotic and like eat more fiber. I'm like, I'm doing all those things. What do my emotions have to do with it? What does my mindset have to do with it? What about my thoughts? What about trauma? I became so intrigued by this whole world. But the reason why I came into it was because I I couldn't accept that that would be the rest of my life. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, I'm either going to accept that that's my reality where I'm going to be on medication for the rest of my life or I'm going to find a way to heal myself. And once I entered this world, it was like you're home now. Like this is where you belong. Not speaking for you, but I think like this book that I'm holding in my hand, people can't see me holding it. Like you entered this space out of necessity. Like you had something to say. When you feel called, to like speak, say, write something and share like an emotion, like you can't not enter the space. And that was even, you just actually shine a light on something I didn't even acknowledge until now was even me writing poetry when I was 16 was out of necessity. I remember I was feeling very stuck and confused and you know, heartbroken at 16, whatever that even meant at the time. And I was like, I need to release my emotions. And that's when I turned to writing poetry out of necessity to release what was stuck in my heart and my body. Yeah. And I just realized that right now. So. I love that. I love it. Um, at the end of every episode, I always ask people like the podcast is called How I See It. And mm-hmm. I think you starting this at 16 and writing just and going through life over the last 10 years and now having like physical proof of like the feelings and the emotions and the experiences like how do you see it 
How do you see it all? How do you see the journey? No, I I feel like every day I'm having a deeper spiritual awakening, but it's yeah. so beautiful. Um, you know, growing up, my dad's favorite thing to tell me and my brother and literally every person he meets is this one phrase and it's so simple, but it really has merit and it's life is beautiful. And growing up when he would say that, I would be like, okay, dad, what is it? Like, I'm not, I don't feel good. I feel sick. Da, da, da. He's so right. And it's such a simple sentence. Life is beautiful. When I look back on my entire lifetime and all of the challenges and suffering and the moments where I really did not think I could get through it, the moments where I was begging to God, like, take this from me. Why me? Why me? Why is this my life path? I can now look back on all those moments and the really great ones, you know, the, the all of the highs in my life and the people in my life and the dreams I've accomplished and all of that. In totality, everything happened for me. Everything will happen for me and everything happens for a reason. And the highs and the lows, all of it is beautiful. It's really how you see it. You know, it's, you can either look at life as this tumultuous, like, wrecking ball that never ends or you could look at it as a beautiful video game that you get to run the show for and I, I'm so happy that my dad instilled that belief in me because now I repeat that to myself you know even when shit hits the fan I'm like this is life and life is still beautiful I love so. that I think that we tend to like always choose the negative side of things I think for a long time I'd like leaned into the like oh like why me like why is this my story I just want to be normal I just don't want to have to deal with this and like the reality is that none of us are normal we all go Mm -hmm. through the ups and downs and we all tend to lean towards like what the fuck is my life like what is life and it's funny because I feel like as of recent I've really like become more in tune with like who I am at my core. I think that I've been on like that journey for a while, but I think over the last year and a half, especially like uh, living like in my own apartment and like feeling like I, I don't know, like I have this like independence in my life now on an emotional level and like in life, like in my own apartment, I think I've realized life is beautiful and I've always wanted to like feel that every day. I've always been like a really emotional person, like very moved by like aesthetic experience. Oh my God. When I wake up and I see, this is so minor. I see the sun rays on my linen bed sheet. I'm like, <laughs> like a shadow. Wow. Like yeah. that, like what a beautiful world we live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel rays. like when you are constantly telling yourself like, this is so hard. What I'm going through so hard. My past is hard. My situation is hard now. You can't see those things. We start to fool ourselves into thinking that life isn't beautiful. I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. And I think that by being still, like creating moments to like actually be still and like look around, it opens up like a portal to start seeing life as beautiful again, especially if you've you've been going through a hard time or if like you maybe have a hard past or maybe you're really physically sick. Feeling those things is very valid, but when you continuously ingrain in yourself that like your story sucks or like your past is horrible or like you can't possibly get over the things you've been through, it really makes you blind to the beauty of life. And that's the thing, like the story we tell ourselves, 
my story could be so different. I could have – I actually had this meditation a few weeks ago. We can end on this because I know we've been speaking for so long. But I had this meditation a few weeks ago, and it was very deep and very hypnosis-like. And I started to wonder what would my life look like if I didn't have the health issues that I had. And I just saw a different life, like who I was as a person, the – job I had, the friendships I had, the te- like the kindness that I didn't have, the compassion, the level of compassion that I don't have, I did not have. And I saw the way I was and the way I was living. And yes, that's a fabrication of my imagination and my mind. So God knows what that could have actually looked like. But I saw that version of me and I was like, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't want that path. When it comes to all forms of suffering, we both could have easily turn that pain into anger and been a really like unkind, cruel person. Anyone who is listening is on their own mental health journey or physical health journey or self-love, whatever journey you're on, you know, whatever challenges you're suffering, your experiences, it's never too late to change the story into what you want your story to be. Getting out of that mode and like really acknowledging how different you would be without your story yeah. I think whenever I'm feeling like sh- like in a victim mode, I'll always remind myself that like I wouldn't even be like I wouldn't have even I wouldn't even be who I am right now like if it wasn't for my story. I am so happy. My my heart is so full after this conversation. Me too. I wish that you lived here so that I we could be friends in real life. Please, please, please share your handle so people can follow you. Like I said, I've been following your account forever. It is so encouraging. It's so inspiring. And then I'm going to put your book in the show notes as well. Amazing. So yeah, my book is called Beauty in the Stillness. It's available internationally in digital and in print. So check your local Amazon. Um, If it's not available physically in your country, you could always get the digital version. I know it's not the same, but this way you could read the words. My Instagram is at I-C-I-E-T-N-U. My podcast is lows to highs going inwards and growing up, which is the summary of this entire conversation um, and everything is linked in my Instagram bio. Um, and yeah, that's Yay. me. Yeah. And I'll put everything in the show notes so people can easily access it, but thank you so much. Appreciate you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you leave here feeling motivated and inspired. Do not forget to rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to follow How I See It Pod so you can keep up with podcast updates and see who's coming on next. And if you're not already, come join the fam and follow at How Hand Sees It. Thank you guys. <laughs>